but now he's one of the leaders at Hope Church in Winchester. He's a very gifted Bible teacher and travels to a number of different parts of the world. So we're really glad to have him speaking to us this morning. Thank you, John. And now let's give him a warm welcome. Well, it's always good to be here. We're delighted to be with you, Marion and I, today. Uh, we were, for many, many years, living here in Hastings, um, and uh, grew up here, really, and uh, were involved with the church for decades, until 2002, when we moved to Winchester. So, long history in Hastings. It's always great to come back, meet lots of old friends, Um, Unfortunately, with the uh, deteriorating process of ageing, I don't always get your names straight away. I can usually tell you a short biography, which I tend not to go into, because sometimes it's quite personal, because I was a pastor in the church. So I think, oh yes, you had this, who are you? So, um, you know, if I pause for a moment, bear with me, the name comes up. It's like an old computer going back into its old files. But it's lovely to see you guys and to be with you. I'm going to share something that's on my heart for you this morning, which is an Old Testament story, and we're going to get into the story as quickly but as effectively as we can, because as we go into this story, I believe God wants to lead us to Jesus, and I want us to have time to take bread and wine at the very end. So I hope you can come with me on this sort of journey. Now, it's not a made-up story. It's real history. And it's a little book in the Old Testament called Ruth. So we're going to go to the book of Ruth in a moment. And we're going to look at the story of Ruth. Now, Ruth has a very poor background, which we'll touch in a moment. But the reason that she's so important in the Bible is that she was the great-grandmother of King David, who was a very important character. So it's a bit like looking at the Queen Mother relative to Prince William in our sort of monarchy, but that's the only place where the similarity is. A very, very different story and a very different background for Ruth. And it's a powerful story, and it's part of God's bigger story. And we'll see that as we go through. And it also has a resonance right through to us and Jesus. And that's why I want to take a bit of time looking at it. It's actually, the book of Ruth is a love story. But it's not a romance. It's not a, a gooey thing at all. It's, a, it's really about real love, covenant love, hesed, which is love that involves sacrifice, that involves commitment, love where you lay yourself down for someone else. And we don't just see it between a married couple, which we do in the end, Boaz and Ruth, but we also see it in Ruth's own attitude even to her, uh, her, mother, her mother-in-law, Naomi. Behind that story about love It's a story of moving from utter despair to hope and happiness in the hands of God's leading. From an emptiness to a fullness. From a place of complete destitution to a place of redemption and restoration. It's a great story and it's relevant to all of us. So let me just give you a little bit of background because we're going to have to dip into chapter 2 and you need to know what's happened before. At the beginning of the story is a lady called Naomi and her husband Elimelech. And they are Israelites. They're God's people in the Old Covenant. And they live in Bethlehem. They live in a good place in God's people, with God's people. But things get a bit tough, and there's some famine, there's a shortage of food. And I would say probably wrongly, but who knows, 
for whatever reason, they decide to leave Israel, the place where God's people live, and they go to a place called Moab. Now, Moab is a pagan country. It's a country that worships a different god, a rather unpleasant Shamosh, which involved child sacrifice, I believe. So it's a horrible place to go, really, but at least there's some food there. So they go to this country of Moab, and they settle there. And they have two sons who they take with them. Now, these two sons marry Moabite women. Remember that. These women are not Israelites. They're not God's people. They come from a very different story. A pretty ugly story, actually. You can read it. I think it's in Genesis 19. I can't remember. But early on in the history of of things here, Lot uh, fled from Sodom and Gomorrah. And a really ugly thing happened. Lot had two daughters. Uh, After Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, these daughters said, well, nobody's going to marry us. We're not going to have any children. And so they got their dad drunk, had sex with their dad when he didn't know. It's it's X-rated this morning. And the product of that union was Moab, of the older daughter anyway, was Moab. So Moab's origins were pretty gruesome, and it was not a nice uh, tribe. And uh, actually, the Jews knew that they represented everything, if you like, debase and, and idolatry and all the rest of it. Yet these two Moabite women ended up marrying these two Israelite men. Uh, and Ruth was one of those Moabite women. So her background is pretty rough, if you like, historically. Well, what happens is that all three men die. Elimelech and the two sons die in the land of Moab. So Naomi's left with two young widows, no children. Orpha and, and Ruth. And she decides, because she's got absolutely nothing to stay in Moab for, to make her way back to Israel. She hears there's more food there now. And so she makes her way back as a totally impoverished, embittered, to be honest, older woman who feels that God's just treated her badly. Life's been rough and useless. And she, as she goes back, these two young widows decide to go with her. But she says, look, there's no point coming with me. I've got nothing for you. I've got no future sons, no other sons to offer you. You know, go and find your own way back. Go back to your own people. It's a logical thing. And Orpha says, yeah, I love you, but yeah, you're right. And she turns around and goes back. But Ruth doesn't. And it's just worth reading the remarkable way Ruth responds to her mother-in-law. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to return. And, and, and Ruth just comes out with this deep commitment, not only to Naomi, but to everything Naomi stands for. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She comes from the horrible idolatry of Chamash, all the messy background, and she says, I want to come with you, and I want to know your God. And that's where the story gets to when we're in a moment going to pick it up. They come back to Israel, and it is a bit better, but they're right at the bottom of the pile. They really are the lowest of the low. Nobody really is going to respect them very much. Two impoverished widows. Now, the book of Ruth is a great book about God moving in lives, but moving in ordinary ways. 
It's not got any visions. It's not got miracles. It's not got crossing the Red Sea. It's not got healings particular anything. But God's hand is in all of it. It's actually very easy for us to relate to it. God is in the happenstances, in the circumstances, in Ruth just happening to be in the right place at the right time. And you can see that these people have a growing faith that God's with them and leading them, which is just like your life and my life. We're more often like that. More often our lives are led by things that just look a bit like a coincidence, but you know that it's a bit more than that. And that God just opens a door here and opens an opportunity there. And that is how things are for Ruth and for Naomi. God is clearly interested in these very ordinary, very poor people. And he's leading them on to a greater purpose for their life. And actually, they are to have a part, particularly Ruth, in a far bigger plan God has. And Ruth is going to end up marrying a guy called Boaz. And we're going to, in a moment, read the first time they meet. And through this marriage, they produce a son called Obed, who fathers another one called Jesse, who becomes the father of King David. So she is part of that royal line. But it's far more to it than that. Because Jesus is part of the line that King David has. So this is part of Jesus' ancestry, humanly speaking, the man side. Ruth has a part in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to notice the grace in that right away. And she's mentioned, not only is she mentioned, she has a whole book called after. It's not called Boaz, the book's called Ruth. Not called Boaz. And what I want you to get straight away is that God is a God of grace and mercy. And he's quite proud of those people, if you like, in his line. Ruth has a place of honour in the line of Jesus. He's not hiding away her very suspect background. She is a marker of the grace of God and the people that God loves to bless and restore. It speaks of grace. What a change Ruth will go through from her background in gross sin and rebellion, or in the place of gross sin and rebellion, Moab, right through to becoming part of the royal line, not just of King David, but of King Jesus. It's fantastic. It's wonderful, wonderful news. Now, all through church history, it's not just a new thing, Christians, when they've looked at this story, have got loads out of it at one level, just the level I'm talking about, how God's grace and history. But they've always seen in it something deeper. There is here a picture of Jesus and his church. Boaz is like Jesus Christ, and Ruth is like not just the church, but us. All of us who come to know Jesus and get married to him, if I can use that word. All of us who find a a hope and a future where we never expected it and are brought into something where we become part of a royal line in God. And so this morning when I've read chapter 2, which is a very ordinary story, very down to earth and quite a good story. I don't think you'll find it boring. But also, I want to, in the last half of what I say, I want you to understand that it is a picture of you, like Ruth, and me, like Ruth, and Jesus, like Boaz. And that's where we'll end up. All right? You with me? Right, we're going to read this bit of the story. So it's chapter 2, and it's a good story. Remember, Ruth and Naomi have come back, but they're utterly impoverished. They've got nothing at all. And here's where the story starts. This is the first meeting of Boaz and Ruth. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, just by chance it seems, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, quite usefully, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field. She's remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you even notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvester, he, harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all wanted, had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves, don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she'd left over after she'd eaten enough at lunch. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord, bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He's not the Lord, this means. He stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Now, you may have the phrase kinsman redeemer, which I prefer. He's one of our kinsman redeemers. Then Ruth, the Moabite, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women as to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now it's a great story in itself, the whole story, but it's real history Real people with a significant part, not only in Israel's history, Old Testament people of God, but in world history and the history of Jesus, and in a sense, our history. 
And we're going to quite simply look at Boaz for a few minutes and see him as a picture of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to look at Ruth as a picture of us. So let's talk a bit. This is an encounter in the harvest field, their first meeting. Let's talk a bit about Boaz. There are two key phrases. Now, you can work with me on this because remember, Boaz is a sort of picture and always has been seen by the Holy Spirit's help as a sort of picture of Jesus. He's described as a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech and later he's described as a close relative to Naomi and Ruth, one of their kinsmen redeemers. Now, this is the bit that I like probably most of all of everything I'm telling you. You need to know what a kinsman redeemer was because that is magnificent. It tells you something about the heart of God. It tells you something about Jesus as well. So we'll take a moment on it. A kinsman redeemer was something that God provided, and you can read about it in Leviticus 25. And this is what it was. It was a provision for when things got really tough for an Israelite, any Israelite, any one of God's people. They might fall into poverty and slavery for any number of reasons. They might be their own fault, that they're stupid with what they do. They waste their money or, you know, fritter it all away and make stupid decisions. It might not be their fault. They might have had a flood or a famine. They might have even worse been robbed or gone through a war and lost all their belongings. It didn't matter what the reason was. They had become impoverished and enslaved. However, they could be redeemed by a relative, redeemed by a close relative. Now, redeem meant bought out of slavery. That person would pay the money to get them out of slavery and restore them to their former possessions, land and possessions. Now, the person had to be a member of their wider family. That's why kinsman redeemer is probably a better word. The person had to be a member of their wider family, and that person had to be pretty wealthy. They had to have enough resources to buy someone out of slavery and repurchase their land and set them up again. And thirdly, they had to be pretty kind and pretty generous because they didn't have to do it. So they've got to be part of their family, they've got to have the resources to do a pretty big thing, and they've got to be willing. They did not have to do it. There was no law that said you had to do it. It was a provision for those who were prepared to do it, for kinsmen, redeemers, to step in and change things. I love it. This is a commentary defining what a kinsman redeemer was. And although it's slightly wordy, bear with me because it's great. Look. Kinsman Redeemer, this provision in God's law was to provide redemption to original primal tribal wholeness. That means they go right back to have the land they could have right at the beginning when they first went into into the promised land. To original primal wholeness of that lost either by accident or one's own fault. Let's leave it up for a moment. God is doing something here. He's telling us something of his heart. His heart was that there should be possibility. Whatever went wrong in your life, for whatever cause, your own fault or someone else's or a random act of a a famine or, or storm or anything you like, earthquake, whatever, there should be a possibility for you to be restored right back to everything you lost. Original, primal, tribal wholeness is a great phrase. 
It means it was to provide, not just that you could survive, oh, here's a little bit, we'll give you a bit to get on with, but right back to hold the whole thing. You got it all. Even if it had been your own fault that you lost it. Now, in that, you get an understanding of God's heart and what redemption means. Okay? Because this is the same God of redemption. That is what God's redemption means. He has sent a kinsman redeemer. I'm there already. It's Jesus, right? This is a picture of Jesus. And he came to restore everything lost by your own fault or by accident to original wholeness. To the original wholeness. Everything lost can be restored through Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. And Jesus has all three qualifications to be your kinsman redeemer. First of all, he is of your family. You say, what do you mean? Well, he is truly man. He had to be a proper man. He had to be born of a virgin. As we sang in that magnificent uh, song, I loved it, that we learned, Joe taught us earlier. He had to be a real person. He had to be like us. And he was. Truly God, truly man. He wasn't just an angel. He wasn't someone slightly dressed up like a man, pretending to be a man. He was God's man, God man, born of the Virgin Mary. He was one of our kinsmen. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. He is a kinsman. He knows what it is to be a human being. He understands our precious. He he understands what it is to be lonely, hungry, uh, deceived, abused, to suffer pain, to die, to... To not, for people not to understand you. You know the Gospels. He under, Jesus was our kinsman. But he also needed to have the resources to redeem us. And he had. Because he was God become man, he didn't carry the sin scars we did. He started again, if you like. He resisted every temptation of the evil one. He was the holy son of God. He was God become man. So actually, he could pay the price for your sin and mine. Potentially, he could do it. He could die, not for his own sin, but for your sin and mine. He wasn't someone who was going to be judged and die for his own sin. He was a man of good standing, like Boaz. Boaz. He was a man of good standing from our family. Amen? From our family, a man of good standing. Third thing, big one, is he going to do it? Is he prepared to do it? He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't. If you read the Bible, what motivated Jesus was love. Now, Boaz is motivated by love. We haven't got time to explore the story this morning. It's a little series you have to do. But actually, he's motivated. But Jesus was motivated by love. God so loved the world that he sent his only beloved son to die for us. Or as Paul beautifully puts it in Galatians 2.20, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that wonderful? Why did Jesus do it? Because he loved you. He chose to do it. He got the resources. He was from the right family. He could be, only he could be, your and my kinsman redeemer. And he is. And he loves to do it. Out of love, he does it. It costs him. This is going to cost Boaz. If you read the story at the end, there's another kinsman redeemer who doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want all the cost and the 
embarrassment of it all and ending up with this Moabite girl to deal with. And, and, but Boaz, through his love, is prepared to take all the knocks and pay all the price for Ruth and Naomi to be restored. And Jesus did that for you and me. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful. Let's look at Ruth. Because Ruth is sort of our side of the equation, if you like. Uh, it's our side of the story. It's not an equation. We're not in maths here. We're in, what's that? Why do I say that stupid thing? Say? Well, our side of the story. I don't like maths. Uh, <laughs> Ruth. Now, what chapter 2 makes very clear is that Ruth is the opposite to Boaz. She has nothing. She comes from a tribe Moabites who have a huge shadow over them. They've got a messy background. The origin of the tribe is revolting. I almost embarrassed telling you earlier, incest. And they have been seen as rebels and sinners and idolaters all the way through. That's where she comes from. On top of that, she is a widow, which is not good news in this culture. There's no welfare state. You've got no man to look after you and protect you. You are very vulnerable and very poor. She is an impoverished Moabite widow. That's not good news. She comes back to Israel. You get a little sense of her vulnerability if you read it carefully. First of all, the foreman, Boaz's foreman, describes her as the Moabite. Now, we don't know his tone of voice, but I suggest to you it's not particularly admiring. I mean, he admires she's got some character. He says, well, she's the Moabite. And actually, if you look carefully in verses 9 and 22, which we haven't got up on the screen, I don't want to put them up, there are two references to, to being looked after so that you're not abused, frankly, by the men. So Boaz tells his men not to interfere with Ruth, and then Naomi says, you stay in that field so that you don't get abused I assure you she would have been subject to significant abuse, possibly rape. You're talking about someone like the refugees in Greece and Europe today from the Middle East. You're talking about someone who's despised, Moabite, not Israel. She, how does she live? By gleaning. Gleaning means you go round a field picking up what nobody else wants. They've taken all they can and you pick up the little bits of grain that are left. You live on what nobody else wants. Now, that is quite lowly position. I think you'll agree with me. And vulnerable and terrible place to be. That is a picture of where any one of us is until Jesus meets us. Now, you may look okay, and I think in many ways your life may be okay. But actually, spiritually, you are like Ruth. You haven't got a hope. You're not part of God's covenant people. You've got nothing to expect that way. You are impoverished. You are without any resources. And you are vulnerable to all sorts of attacks and abuse. You are at the bottom of the spiritual pile. Satan can do what he likes with you. And life can be pretty rough. And yet this dear girl, Roth, ends up being not only spared... She ends up marrying this wealthy man, Boaz, and loved by him, I hasten to say, and ends up having children and a glorious family and a glorious future as part of the royal family of Israel. That's a good story, isn't it? It's a good story, but it's a picture of you. In Christ, you come into the royal family. You become sons of God. You become children of God. Actually, you do all become sons of God. You share Christ's sonship. There is a magnificent grace story here which applies to all of us. 
She had no hope, and she finds incredible hope in what happens, so incredible uh, answers in what happens. But I think there's a few things that we ought to just draw attention to here about Ruth herself. I've gone on a bit, I passed my, uh, uh, oh, don't worry, I'll tell you when I get to them. I've lost my way with my PowerPoints, forget that. I'll tell you, poor person at the back. Um, okay, I want you to, this is not got a PowerPoint, I just want to tell, talk about it. I think Ruth is a great example because she could have been really despairing and sulky and miserable and she could have just stayed at home all sort of huddled up with Naomi and say, well, I've come with you, but it's up to you. I don't know these people. I can't speak their language. It's up to you to sort things out. She doesn't. She gets up and she says, I'm going to go, and I love it, I'm going to look for favour. Now, that word favour means grace. So basically, she says, I'm going to go out and find grace. Now, what an attitude. If you're going to be a Christian or be any use as a Christian, you need to have Ruth's attitude. I've got nothing to offer. I'm not going out looking to be uh, any big shot. I'm not going out trying to win people. I'm I'm just going to go and look for favour. I'm going to go and look for grace. I tell you, when you do that, you'll find it. Ah, I've got a PowerPoint, Hebrews 11.6. I'm not sure how relevant it is. You might as well put it up. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, well done, you're still looking for it. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'm sorry, have I lost you completely? You've got that one. Uh, broken. That's fine. Just as well. That's the mercy of God, because otherwise you'd have a nervous breakdown by lunchtime. So, so the fact is, listen to it. If you want to find hope and redemption, you just need to be prepared to come and look for grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try and tidy yourself up and say, I can do this and I can, I can offer to be a... a I, she didn't come along and say, I could, I could be a, 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 you know, a, a something in the field. No, no. She just went looking for favour. And she found it. She found pure grace. Undeserved. She quite quickly acknowledges that herself. She quite quickly says things like this. Uh, bowed down with her face to the ground. She said, why have I found favour in your eyes? You notice me a foreigner. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to me, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. I think Ruth's attitude is the attitude we all need if we're going to really engage with Jesus and find him as our kinsman redeemer. You won't find him when you're proud and arguing and saying, why have I had such a rough life? Why me? What's this? Why did you allow? This is a rotten place to be. I don't like the church. I don't like people. You know, she's not like, she's like I don't like Israel. I don't like, she's not doing any of that. She's saying, I'm looking for favor. And when she finds it, she doesn't say, well, about time. What she says is, that's amazing. You've been so kind to me. Thank you. I didn't deserve your favour. and you, you've, I'm a foreigner and you've treated me like one of your own servants. That touches God's heart. God can do stuff with people like that. That is how you must be, not only when you become a Christian, but all through your Christian life. Don't get above yourself. Don't get all full of yourself and think you're wonderful and God ought to do this and that for you. He will do thousands of things for you if you seek him and his grace. And mercy. God is rich in mercy. He loves showing mercy. 
He is a God of grace. He loves showing grace. But you don't deserve it anyway. So don't come bargaining with him. Come say, I'm seeking favor. And you'll find it. And she found it as well. Hallelujah. Yeah, he's found something, has he? Uh, Okay. Well done. Yeah. I'll now give you another test in a minute. So... I haven't got time to explore all this, but I love what what, um, Boaz does. Boaz doesn't just merely let her have a few uh, bits of grain. He actually treats her as one of his favoured servants. Now, this would be in Ruth 2.14, which you may or may not find with a bit of help. But it says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. I can't resist noticing it's bread and wine. Notice that. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Now, just get this. She had no rights at all to be treated like this. And actually, if she on her own merit had tried to go and join the picnic lunch, which is what she's joining, of Boaz's he provides lunch for his workers, right? His servants. She is being enjoying the lunch with them. If she'd gone on her own right, they would have beat her up and kicked her out. She had no, no way could she go and be part of this meal unless Boaz invited her. If Boaz invites her, nobody is going to argue. Nobody else could have done. I would think probably not one of the other workers couldn't have said, come over here and have the dinner with us. They said, what are you bringing her over, that Moabite? She's a gleaner. No, Boaz said, come and have the wine and the bread and the grain that's provided for my servants and workers. Now, Jesus has done that for you and me. He invites you into God's banqueting hall and his banner over you is love. You are brought above angels into the family of God. You become a co-heir with Christ. You are welcomed in. You can feast at his table. You can eat all the good things he's provided. You can drink from the good wine of the kingdom. By the way, you might have thought vinegar's an odd drink. I just need to tell you this. I like these things. That was not a horrible drink. It was rather nice, apparently. It was slightly sour wine, watered down to make a mildly alcoholic, refreshing drink. There you go bit of knowledge, learn something today. So we're not talking about vinegar like for fish and chips. So, so basically it was a refreshing drink and she was invited right in, come in with the rest of my servants and, have, and nobody was going to rubbish her now. Nobody's going to treat her as dirt because the, the boss had brought her in. And then he gives her a whole load of extra grain and you saw the story, I hope you can remember it. And eventually she goes back home to her mother-in-law. I want to hurry on to that as we end there, near the end. So sorry, people on the screen. Let's go back to, eight, let's go to 18 and 19. Ruth 2, 18 and 19. So that's well done. So this is what happens at the end of the story. Now, I want you to know this is the lesson in evangelism for this morning. This is what evangelism is. Whatever its form, it basically is this. She carried the grain back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she'd left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law about 
the one at whose place she'd been working and the name of the man that I work for today is Boaz. Now, as Christians, we can get very funny about evangelism. We've got to do it and this and that. But really, this is an example of what it is. Basically, what happens, Ruth has an incredible encounter with Boaz, Jesus for us. Everything changes. She's welcomed in. She's made part of the inner circle and given a a wonderful lunch of wine and bread. She's given a whole stack of food. By the way, what she brings back, food-wise, is another interesting fact for you to take home, was the equivalent to two weeks' wages for a servant. So she goes back. She'd come to get a handful of grain. She goes back with two weeks' worth of groceries. She'd come for a day's worth. She goes back with two weeks. And what does Naomi say? Where did you get that from? What happened to you? That's basically what she says. What happened to you? And what does she do? Oh, it's nothing, nothing. No, she says, oh, well, I don't know. I just went to this field. This guy called Boaz, bless me, welcome me. And then Naomi, who's a bit more that, oh, he's, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. That's amazing. And Naomi, who actually is bitter and hopeless, you can read it for yourself, her life begins to change. She said, oh, God's not forgotten us. God's not, he's led you to Boaz. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And he's obviously blessing you, so maybe there is hope. Now that is how evangelism works, isn't it? You need to tell, you just need to look happy. Please look happy. That's all you need to do. And when things shouldn't be causing you to be happy, you still are happy. Because you're an impoverished widow from Moab, and you're coming down the road smiling with your arms full of grain. And so someone says, what happened to you then? Why don't you react like everybody else? Where'd you get all that lot from? And you say, well, a, a man called Jesus. I, I mean, a man, I was looking for favour and I found it. That is an event. And then they go, what? If, maybe that can happen to me. Maybe there's hope after all. Maybe there is a God. That's almost exactly how Naomi responds. Because you can read it. She said, God's bitter and hates me. And she suddenly says, oh, maybe God's not forgotten to bless people. Isn't that great? That is all we need to do, brothers and sisters. We need to enjoy Jesus. We need to understand everything he's done for us. We need to let him welcome us into his banqueting hall. We need to enjoy him, stop worrying about, and then just tell people when they ask you. We say, I've got someone, I could pray for the sick for you. I, I mean, you know, I found this has helped me. It's just been amazing. And it's Jesus. Don't miss the name. Don't let's get so politically correct. We talk vaguely. She mentions, it's Boaz, and that's a key that she mentions Boaz because Naomi thinks, Boaz, oh, one of our relatives. And that is the key to the rest of the story. She get, but, so she, meant, she doesn't just say, oh, it's some bloke. She says who he was. And you don't need to forget to mention Jesus. It's not just, oh, I've found peace and joy and, hey, man, I'm a hippie. No, no, you've met Jesus, and he's given you peace and joy. And he's turned your world round. And he's made an impoverished Moabite widow into not only a happy, well-fed woman, but ultimately his bride, which is what's going to happen to her. And we haven't got that time to look at that part of the story today. So we're going to finish in a moment. And what we're going to do is we're going to thank Jesus for being our kinsman redeemer. Amen? You know, Ruth, I could have had another sermon here. Here you are. I can't resist telling you. Ruth finds permission, protection, and provision when she meets Boaz. 
permission to come anywhere, right into the inner circle of Boaz's family and eat as much as she likes. She finds protection from very real dangers. None of those men are to touch you. I'll keep my eye on them. And she finds not only provision for one day's food, for two weeks' food, but ultimately, by the end of the story, for a lifetime of more than enough. And do you know that's what we find in Jesus? Can we stand together? Can we have the band up? I, I guess the kids will come back in five minutes, but we're, we're just going to worship and we're going to take bread and wine. And I, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I don't want you to be too sober and upset about it. Jesus did pay a huge price for you. I really want your feeling, though, to be one of gratitude this morning when you take the bread and wine. Can I just do it? Oh, it's okay. Sorry, it's all right. Okay. So, <laughs> did you want to give instructions? That's, okay, Paul. Sorry, I don't want to take over. Sorry. I do take over, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, basically, I, 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 what I want you to do is to come this If you're a Christian this morning, I don't mind what your background is. You may be visiting. You may be from another stream of churches. If you love Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you know him as your kinsman redeemer, take the bread and wine with us this morning. It is possible that you're in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus. Now, I've got, you've got probably two options from my point of view. I'm taking, it's my, I hope I don't offend the theology of the church here, but I think you've got two options. One is respectfully not to take the bread and wine because you respect the fact that it means a lot to us. We would honour that and respect that more than if you tried and pretended to be one of us. You just listen to what I've said, think about it, and think, I'll, I'll maybe come back another day. That's great. You're welcome. Come anytime. But you could... Say, do you know what? I think it's time I followed Jesus. It's time I became one of his people. It's time I came out of poverty and, and, and abuse. And I came to know Jesus as my kinsman redeemer. Now, if you really want to do that, you can do that this morning. Come and take the bread and wine and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to find my home with you. I'm coming out of my misery, out of my poverty, out of my despair, and I'm coming to you as my bringer of hope. Now, if you mean that, do it. And if you do it and mean it, please tell someone at the end of the morning. Ideally, one of the guys leading the church. We're not going to suddenly sign you up. You might come from China or something. I hope you do. Welcome. But, you know, so we're not going to make you a member of this church, but I think it will seal your faith your faith, not your fate, it will seal your faith if you confess it and say, I did that this morning for the first time and I meant it. And I think you should tell someone, it could be a friend or it might be one of the leaders, say, I meant it this morning and perhaps they'll just pray with you, okay? But for the rest of you, let's just take our bread and wine and let's say, thank you, Jesus, for ever showing me favor. Thank you for being my kinsman redeemer. Thank you for taking me out of poverty and out of despair into hope and into the glorious family of God and making one of me one a part of your family. Amen? Let's sing a song. And do you just go forward in your own time or do you organize? People go, feel free to instruct. He's getting his own back. Uh, my instruction, which I now feel free to give, is that you go in your own time and take bread and wine. Maybe take it back so it's not to cause congestion. 
and just quietly but happily thank Jesus for being your kinsman redeemer. Is that right, Natalie? Good with that? Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for ever being my kinsman redeemer. Thank you for saving me out of poverty, out of despair, out of my pagan, godless background. Thank you for making me your, your honoured child, actually part of your bride. <laughs> making me, making, I'm part of the bride of Christ. Thank you for giving me your name. Thank you for restoring everything I've lost, all my lost uh, estate restored. I thank you, Jesus, that you are a redeemer and restorer. And we love you. Thank you paid the price for that. Laid down your life for us, willingly and lovingly. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, as we sing, go and get your bread and wine and just thank Jesus.